ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations, and why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hey everybody, welcome to History of a Haunting. Hi guys. You know who we are. Yeah, I'm him. Right, I'm her. Yay! <laughs> so uh, this week, before we get started, we have a really great location uh, we're bringing to you this week. It is the Myrtle's Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. Bucket list item for me, for sure. <laughs> and I roll item for Archie, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but before we get started, um, just want to give a couple of updates um, and fun things like that. Uh, Arch, you know how we are members of the Pod All the Time podcast network. Yes. It's a wonderful network of independent podcasts that support each other, promote each other, and things like that. They have a new Instagram account. So please, 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 in addition to us, first and foremost, us, <laughs> <laughs> please go ahead and uh, follow Pod All the Time Podcast Network on their new Instagram page. You can also follow all of us on Twitter as well. There are 11 really, really wonderful podcasts in the network. We have talked about some of them um, in prior episodes, and we're going to keep promoting these wonderful podcasts as we go on. But to see the whole big group of us, you can certainly check us out on Instagram and on Twitter. So wanted to let everybody know about that. Um, Also wanted to (laughs) mention that in the Jerome Grande (laughs) episode, uh, I, my mom and I talk about the Arizona Biltmore Hotel here in Phoenix and wonder if it's haunted. And I did some research and I need to let you guys know that it's not. Not at all. It's not at all. No. Uh, no there's, it does, I think it does a ghost thing at Halloween, but that's literally, that's it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's really it. So that's a big bummer. Cause I was hoping we could do an episode on that. Yeah. Um, and then um, I do want to let you guys know, because it was uh, brought up several times in the last episode uh, that was Jerome, um, that Archie did not end up making it to PV Mall. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, big H-O-A-H apology to Archie for <laughs> that uh, ruining of his, of his plans. Oh, um, wow. So my advice is just block out your whole life on podcast recording day because you never know what will fucking happen, (laughs) as we found out last week. Yes. Yes. So with that all being said, Arch, do you have anything that you want to update folks on, anything like that, before we get going on this amazingly wonderful location? I'm super excited, as Um, always. I don't think so. Do I? Mm, uh, I don't think so. It's. I didn't make it to PV Mall, so that's my big news. Yeah, but you did get what you needed through ordering it, right? Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to PB Mall because of your special shampoo. But No. Gotcha. You were looking for cold medication or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. Let's get this okay. this show on the road. It's a unique place. It's got... Archie's got a big part today, guys. This is exciting. Um, he's He's got... A, lots of twists and turns. And lots. Yes. That's a perfect way to put it. So I'm going to sit back and uh, let you talk to me about the history and its twists and turns. We're going to discuss some of that just before my part. And I'll raise my hand when I need to interrupt and ask questions a well, million that's, times. That's new. <laughs> I know. Well, I raising my hand. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, Twenty episodes in, and I'll start being considerate now instead of just. <laughs> Excuse me. Stop talking. I have something to say now. <laughs> All right, go ahead. This is awesome. Myrtle's Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, as told by AmericanHauntingsInc.com with research by David Weishart. And read by Archie Bays. Read by Archie Bays. David Bradford was one of five children born in America to Irish immigrants. In 1777, he purchased a tract of land in a small stone house near Washington County, Pennsylvania. He became a a successful attorney, businessman, and deputy attorney general for the county. He married Elizabeth Porter in 1785 and started a family. As his family and business grew, Bradford needed a larger home and he built a new one in the town of Washington. Bradford would use the parlor of the house as an office where he would meet with his clients. I have a question. Yes. This is in Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Washington. Is this in Pittsburgh area? It, it will be. Oh, great. <laughs> Yay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> in October 1794, he was forced to flee, leaving his family behind. Mm. Bradford became involved in the infamous Whiskey Rebellion. Fuck yes. The Whiskey Rebellion took place in western Pennsylvania and began as a series of grievances over high prices and taxes forced upon those living along the frontier at that time. Mm. The complaints eventually erupted into violence when a mob attacked and burned down the home of a local tax collector. Oh, shit. (laughs) In the months that followed, residents resisted attacks that had been placed on whiskey, and while most of the protests were nonviolent, Washington mobilized a militia and sent it in to suppress the rebellion. Oh, fuck, really? Once the protests were brought under control, Bradford left the region on the advice of some other principals in the affair. Oh. You need to go. Wow. You're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, my God. After leaving Washington, Bradford first went to Pittsburgh, leaving his family in safety. He traveled down the Ohio River to the Mississippi. He eventually settled at Bayou Sarah, near what is now St. Francisville, Louisiana. When he returned in 1796, he purchased 600 acres of land and a year later built a modest eight-room home that he named Laurel Grove. Please, my modest homes are minimum ten rooms. I mean, come on. (laughs) He lived there alone until 1799 when he received a pardon for his role in the Whiskey Rebellion from newly elected President John Adams. He was given a pardon for his assistance in establishing a boundary line between Spain and the United States. Oh, that's... Wow, all right. After receiving the pardon, Bradford returned to Pennsylvania to bring his wife and five children back to Louisiana, and they settled into a comfortable life there. Bradford occasionally took in students who wanted to study the law. One of them, Clark Woodruff, not only earned a law degree, but also married his teacher's daughter, Sarah Matilda. Oh, okay, okay. So Clark Woodruff was born in Litchfield County, Connecticut in 1791. Having no desire to follow in his father's footsteps as a farmer... 
keep that in mind, he left Connecticut at the age of 19 and sought his fortune on the Mississippi River, ending up in Bayou Serra. He arrived in 1810, the same year that citizens of the Feliciana Parish rose up in revolt against the Spanish garrison at Baton Rouge. Oh, shit. They overthrew the Spanish and then set up a new territory with its capital being St. Francisville. Oh, wow. The okay. territory extended from the Mississippi River as far east as the Peridio River near Mobile, Alabama. Oh, okay. So he began his studies with Judge David Bradford and soon earned his degree. He also succumbed to the charms of the Bradford daughter, Sarah Matilda. The romance blossomed. Succumbed to the charms. That succumbed. poor man fell in love. Oh, God. <laughs> Her feminine wiles. Their romance We've all got them. <laughs> 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 oh, their romance blossomed under the shade of the crepe myrtle trees that reportedly gave the home its lasting name. The young couple was married on November 19, 1817, and for their honeymoon, Woodruff took his new bride to the Hermitage, the Tennessee home's friend, Andrew Jackson. Oh, my. After the death of David Bradford, Woodruff managed Laurel Grove for his mother-in-law, Elizabeth. He expanded the holdings of the plantation and planted about 650 acres of indigo and cotton. Oh, wow, okay. Together, he and Sarah Matilda had three children, Cornelia Gale, James, and Mary Octavia. Tragically, their happiness would not last. On July 21, 1823, Sarah Matilda died after contracting yellow fever. Although heartbroken, Woodruff continued to manage the plantation and to care for his children with the help from Elizabeth, his mother-in-law. But the dark days were not yet over. On July 15, 1824, his only son James also died from yellow fever, and two months later in September, Cornelia Gale was also felled by the dreaded disease. Woodru so what is the time span between the mother and the three kids dying? About, she's um, a year and two months. Uh, oh. Back to back to back. Just boom, boom, boom. Okay. See, I thought, we'll get into that. I thought it was a much smaller time frame, like like within weeks or a month. No, it was about a year. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. Okay, great. So Woodruff's, I mean, not for them. But. Woodruff's <laughs> life would never be the same, but he managed to purchase the farm outright from his mother-in-law. She was quite elderly by this time and was happy to see the place in good hands. She continued to live at Laurel Grove with her son-in-law and granddaughter Octavia until her death in 1830. After Elizabeth died, Woodruff turned his attentions away from farming, which he never wanted to do in the first place. Right. And focused on the practice of law. He and Octavia moved away from Laurel Grove, and he left the plantation under the management of a caretaker. By this time, Woodruff was living on Rampart Street in New Orleans and had changed the spelling of his last name to Woodruff. He had also been elected as the president. I was wondering president. why you were pronouncing it. Why I was overpronouncing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I like that. Nice twist. He, uh, he had also been elected as the president of Public Works. At 60 years of age, he retired and moved to Oakland to live with Octavia and her husband. He devoted the remainder of his life to the study of chemistry and physics and died on November 25th, 1851. He was buried in the Gerard Street Cemetery in New Orleans. That's an interest that's a really interesting retirement. I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty neat. In 1834, Laurel Grove was purchased by Ruffin Grace Sterling. The Sterlings were a wealthy family who owned several plantations on both sides of the Mississippi River. On January 1st, Ruffin Gray Sterling and his wife Mary Catherine Cobb took over the house, land, buildings, and all the slaves that had been brought from Elizabeth Bradford by her son-in-law. Since the Sterlings were leaders in the community, they needed a house befitting their social status. They decided to remodel Laurel Grove. They completed the project 
uh, the completed project nearly doubled the size of David Bradford's house. In keeping with the renovations, the name of the plantation was officially changed to the Myrtles. Okay, all right, gotcha. So four years after the completion of the project, Sterling died on July 17th, 1854, of consumption, as tuberculosis, tuberculosis was called at the time. Oh, I thought it might have something to do with whiskey. No. <laughs> he left his vast holdings in the care of his wife, Mary Cobb, who most referred to as a remarkable woman. Many other plantation owners stated that she had the business acumen of a man, which was high praise for a woman in those days. She managed to run all of her farms almost single-handedly for many years. Despite this, the family was often visited by tragedy, which comes with the place. Of nine children, only four of them lived to be old enough to marry. The Dear oldest, God. The oldest son, Louis, died in the same year as his father. Daughter Sarah Mulford's husband was murdered on the front porch of the house after the Civil War. The war itself wreaked havoc on the Myrtles and on the Sterling family. Many of the family's personal belongings were looted and destroyed by Union soldiers, and the wealth that they had accumulated was ultimately in worthless Confederate currency. Oh, fuck. To make matters worse, Mary Cobb had invested heavily in sugar plantations that had been ravaged by the war. She eventually lost all of her property. Oh, God. She never let the tragedies of the war and the others that followed overcome her, however, and she held on to the Myrtles until her death in August 1880. God, are we just up to the 1880s? This is an old property. This is a really old property, 1700s. Holy crap. Okay. On December 5th, 1865, Mary Cobb hired William Drew Winter, the husband of her daughter Sarah Mulford, to act as her agent and attorney and to help her manage the plantation lands. As part of the deal, she gave Sarah and William the Myrtles as their home. William had been born to Captain Samuel Winter and Sarah Bowman on October 28, 1820, in Bath, Maine. Little is known about his early life or how he managed to meet Sarah Mulford Sterling. However, they were married on June 3, 1852, at the Myrtles, and together they had six children. Mary, Sarah, Kate, Ruffin, William, and Francis. Kate, I'm sorry, Ruffin. This is... What? That's, like, I know, the first guy was Ruffin Gray Sterling, mm -hmm. and now there's little, little Baby Ruffin. Little Baby Ruffin. Little Baby Ruffin. <laughs> Sounds like an 80s toy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the third daughter, Kate, died from typhoid at the age of three. So lots of terrible things happened to the people that... Lots of illness and... Lots of illness. Yeah. Um, Twelve years after the death of Ruffin Sterling and the Civil War, William was named as agent and attorney... After the death of the Civil War? After the death of Ruffin Sterling and the end of the Civil War. Oh, okay. That's just sad. That was a cute little sentence. <laughs> what a nice was, way to put it. Jeez. Oh, William was named as agent and attorney by Mary Sterling to help her with the remaining lands. I already talked about that. Mary gave William the use of the Myrtles as his home. By December 1867, he was completely bankrupt, and the Myrtles was sold by the U.S. Marshal on April 15, 1868. Two years later, on April 23rd, the property was sold back to Mrs. Sarah M. Winter as the heir of her late father. It is unknown what occurred to cause this reversal of fortune, but it seemed as though things were improving for the family once again. And this was the woman who, like, invested in sugar cane, and that all went to hell in a handbasket. That was Mary Cobb. Oh, so I thought it was is, Elizabeth. This, this is her daughter. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. 
Okay, so again, we don't know how she got the money to buy it back, but she bought it back. Things looked like they were on the up and up. But again, <laughs> soon after, tragedy stuck the myrtles once more. Winter was teaching a lesson in the gentleman's parlor of the house when he heard someone approach the house on horseback. After the stranger called out to him, Winter went out to the side gallery of the house and was shot. He collapsed onto the porch and died. Those inside the house hurried outside to find the fallen man. Winter died on January 26, 1871, and was buried the following day in the cemetery at Grace Church. As far as it is known, Winter's killer remains unidentified. Sarah was devastated by the incident and never remarried. She remained at the Myrtles with her mother and brothers until her death in April 1878 at the age of 44. After the death of Mary Cobb Sterling in 1880, the Myrtles was purchased by Stephen Sterling, one of her sons. He bought out his brothers, but only maintained ownership of the house until March 1886. I he's, can't believe we're still not into the 1900s I yet. I know. It's popular. This, popular this house has such a deep, rich history. This is great, but still, I'm like, okay. Now, in 1901, what happened? No, not there yet? Not okay, there yet. cool, all right. He, <laughs> he sold the Myrtles to Oren D. Brooks, ending his family's ownership. Brooks kept it until January 1889, when, after a series of transfers, it was purchased by Harrison Milton Williams, a Mississippi widower who bought, brought his young son and second wife, Fanny Lintot Harrelson, to the house in 1891. Injured during the Civil War, in which he served as a 15-year-old Confederate cavalry courier, Holy Williams shit. planted corn and gained a reputation as a hard-working and industrious man. He and his family, which grew to include seven children, kept the Myrtles going during the hard times of the post-war South, but tragedy was soon to strike the Myrtles again. Okay, you know what? I'm sorry. You're starting to step on my toes here. My part is the one that's filled with sunshine and happiness. Oh, good. And yours, I, I, usually, tragedy, I'm the one that always yeah, brings tragedy, shit down. Yeah, right? Um, but you're doing it. I'm starting it pretty low you're for start, you. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> during a storm, the Williams' oldest son, Harry, was trying to gather up from some stray cattle and fell into the Mississippi River and drowned. Shattered with grief, Harrison and Fanny turned over management of the property to their son, Shurget, Shurget, spell it, S-U-R-G-E-T, Shurget, Shurget, Shurget Minor Williams. He later married a local girl named Jessie Folks and provided a home at the Myrtles for his spinster sister and maiden aunt Katie. You know, f fuck that spinster word. Katie was secretly called the Colonel behind her back. What? <laughs> she was a true Southern character. Eccentric and kind, but with a gruff exterior, she kept life interesting at the house for years. Did she wear pants? I, I bet know. she wore pants. I bet she wore pants. I bet she wore pants. In the early part of the 20th century, the land surrounding the house was divided among the heirs of Harrison Million, Milton Williams. In the 1950s, the house itself was sold to Marjorie Munson, who apparently noticed odd things happening around the Myrtles, resulting in numerous ghost stories. Yes! The plantation went through several more ownership changes in the 1970s before being bought by James and Francis Kermine Myers, who ran the plantation house as a bed and breakfast. During this time, Francis Myers, writing as Francis Kerman, Kermine, wrote a book about the Myrtles Plantation, naming it as the most haunted house in America. Yeah. The current owners, John and Tita Moss, continue to open the house for tours and overnight guests. And that's me. <laughs> that was excellent, Archie. Thank you. That was really, really excellent. I, all I did was read it. <laughs> most of, if not all of this research was done by David Weishart on the behalf of AmericanHauntingsInc.com. 
That's wonderful. It was it was a lot more. I tried to pare it down. I think you hit all of the really important, the really so important too. points because everything that you have just set up um, for me was, is really great. Um, so we're going to take a real quick break and um, talk to you guys a little bit more about Pod All the Time Podcast Network, and then Archie and I are going to get into a bit of a discussion um, regarding a different version of history that is uh, known about the Myrtles Plantation. So sit tight, guys. We will be right back. History of a Haunting is proud to be a member of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. Pod All the Time Podcast Network is a community of independent podcasts, just like ours, dedicated to supporting and promoting podcasts. Pod All the Time has really has really great podcasts in its network. We suggest you check out the newest episode from Round and Round the Podcast. Two Navy buddies trying to make sense of this wacky world. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. And, and now, back, back to, to the, the ghosts. ghosts. Okay, thanks, guys. Welcome back. Uh, we do have um, a little... There's a different version of the history that is also very popular. Um, it's actually more popular. Um, however, it, it isn't... It's disputed, right, Arch? Right. Okay, okay. And debunked, pretty much. Right, But right. it still remains a very popular story. Yeah, and it's actually told... Um, when you go to the Myrtles Plantation and you stay there as, a, as an overnight guest or you, you take a tour... This is what is told by the owners and the tour guides there. So, Arch, talk to me a little bit about the um, the differences in the the actual documented history and what most people have heard and know about the Myrtles Plantation today. Well, most of this part talks about um, Woodruff. Remember Clark Woodruff had no desire to farm, yet got stuck with a farm. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes? <laughs> well, the story goes that Woodruff had a reputation in the region for integrity with men and with the law, but was also known as being promiscuous. As Okay, let's be honest here. That's how most of them were back in the day. And plantation owners especially. For sure, for sure, yeah. So the story goes that while his wife was pregnant with their third child, he started an intimate relationship with one of the slaves. This particular girl, whose name was Chloe, was a household servant who, while she hated being forced to give in to Woodruff's sexual demands, she realized that if she didn't comply, she could be sent to work in the fields, which was the most brutal part of the work. Right, right. So, the story goes that eventually Woodruff did tire of Chloe and chose another girl to force himself on. Chloe, of course, feared the worst, sure, certain that she was going to be sent to the fields, and she began eavesdropping on the Woodruff family's private conversations, dreading the mention of her name. Well, you know, I had also heard that um, I, a, a lot of um, the things that you, you can come across and, and that are told about Chloe, too, is that she was 15 mm -hmm. at, at the time. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, super young girl, but what, what are you going to do? Really, I mean, mm -hmm. what, what, what could she have done but just have to go along with whatever he wanted, mm -hmm. sexual or otherwise? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. So one day the judge caught her eavesdropping and ordered that one of her ears be cut off to teach her a lesson. So after mm. that, apparently she always wore a green turban around her head to hide the ugly scar that the knife left behind. Okay. So what happens next in the story is unclear, 
we're thinking she plotted to get the family sick so she could step in and nurse them back to health and be the savior and stay in the house. Fall, say, stay in his good graces. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the story goes that Chloe put a small amount of, what is it, oleander leaves yeah. into a birthday cake that was made in honor of the witcher's oldest daughter. It, uh, each, each, um, the two children and Sarah Matilda each had a slice of the poison cake, but Woodruff didn't eat any of it. Before the end of the day, all of them were very sick. Chloe patiently attended to their needs, never realizing that she'd given them too much. In a matter of hours, all three of them were dead. Yeah. Yeah. And the story continues that the other slaves, perhaps afraid that the owner would retaliate against them, dragged Chloe from her room and hanged her from a tree. Oh, God. Apparently, her body, was, her body was later cut down, weighted with rocks, and thrown into the river. Yes, I I have heard that. Um, I have heard that as well. And she is, because of this story, she is one of the, if not the most popular ghost and haunting at the Myrtles Plantation to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's... There's some problems with the story, though. A number of errors and problems. Um, in fact, there are so many errors that it's difficult to know where to begin. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. to start, it's a shame that the character of Clark Woodruff has been so thoroughly damaged over the years with all of these stories about adulterous affairs with his slaves and claims that he had one of his lovers mutilated. Sadly, these stories have been accepted as fact, even though no evidence whatsoever exists to say that they are true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we get to the problem of Chloe's existence, we should also examine the murders of Sarah Matilda and her two daughters. In this case, legend has twisted the truth so far that it's unrecognizable. Remember, yeah, they, they it's, died from... It's not from, a sensational... Right. The truth is, is, is not as sensational. Like, Sarah died from yellow fever, according to historical record. Mm. And her children, a son and daughter, not two daughters, died more than a year after she did. They certainly did not die from the result of a poisoned birthday cake. Also, with this legend, Octavia would never have existed at all. Oh, I didn't even freaking think about that. Her mother was supposed to have been pregnant when she was murdered. Thereby, she dying when her mother died from the cake. Okay, okay, wow. When, in fact, Octavia lived with her father after she got married in in another city. (laughs) So Interesting. That's what we have about Chloe. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, of course, the key to the legend is, of course, this murderous slave, Chloe. Um, and the problem with this is, is, as far as historical record can tell, she actually never existed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only did she not murder members of the Woodruff family, but it, it, it seems unlikely from everything that can be found. Again, the historical record is what we need to be looking at. Exactly. Um, she's not listed at all. At all. At all. Um, and there are a number of historians and, and things like that have, that have spent countless hours looking through property records of the Woodruff family, of the home. Um, these are still available, and they're actually on file as public record in St. Francisville. And there is no evidence that Chloe ever existed. So um, it, it... It's a shame we, that she's the most popular attraction. It is, because there is... Uh, it's sort of blending. Okay, it's not sort of blending. It fucking straight up is blending. <laughs> the truth with fiction, because there are a number of accounts 
of a an apparition that wears a green turban mm-hmm. that has been seen over the years in the home. So, uh, this the story had to be fabricated to it, yeah to give some sort of credence to that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. Uh, there are um, different stories where the slave's name was Chloe or Cleo. Mm-hmm. There's actually what I have heard about Cleo is she was a different slave. Not even a different slave. Well, maybe she was a slave. I can't remember. There's so many. Like, there's so much. It's, right. it's hard to keep it all, you know, straight. Um, Cleo was a slave that was a, a voodoo priestess. And later on, I believe after the Woodruffs, um, one of the family's children got really, really sick and they asked the voodoo priestess to cure her. And instead what she did was she made her worse and the child died. No. So then this slave, Cleo was killed, was Mm. killed because Mm -hmm. of that. Um, so yeah, we got names that don't exist. Names that do exist. The names are interchanged with the actions of the, it's, it's a very unique it's a very unique history, and I know that when, before we started recording this episode, you and I sat down and we were like, okay, here. Yeah, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Um, because it would be all very well and good for you to do your history portion and just talk about the more popular version, the mm-hmm. murderous slave Chloe and the this and the that. Um, but that's not what we... That's not what was recorded in history. That's not what was recorded in history, and that's not what we do here at History of a Haunting Podcast. We want to make sure that we're actually giving the truth. Mm-hmm. But with this one, we kind of have to talk about the sensationalized history because it does start to lead into the hauntings, which that's the thing. There's this genuine history that you just gave in your beginning portion. Mm-hmm. There's this sensationalized history, but they both still tie into the fact that it is a genuinely haunted location. Mm, mm -hmm. So um, maybe throughout my portion, we can figure out who's who in these hauntings and exactly what happened. We're going to break down some of the historically accurate recorded events, um, just like with this Chloe Mm -hmm. person as I, as I get into um, to mine. But um, again, the records list all of the other slaves owned by the Woodruff family, but Chloe simply just does not exist in those records. Right. So maybe there she was an older slave for earlier generations of families that owned it, and those records were lost. I mean, it happens. Right. Yeah, you know, let's not for, just naturally for as, assume. For that, as old as the property is, though, that's got pretty meticulous record keeping. True. True. I mean,. I, I feel like the name Chloe had to come from somewhere. Like it couldn't have just been pulled out of the ether. But again, you know, it happens. It's the, it when happens. did the when did, it's seventeen hundreds? You said. I mean, you know, sure, accurate records. But again, shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, Sarah Matilda um, died on July twenty first, eighteen twenty three. Okay. So, and then James in eighteen twenty four, and then September of that same year, Cornelia Gale. Also. Okay. So, But Octavia was Octavia already born survived. and she was fine. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, so that's, that's kind of that. So keep both of those things in mind, guys, um, when I'm going to get into my portion now of the hauntings. Uh, so just kind of keep both of those things in mind. Um, we just want to be as accurate as possible. But at the same time, these are, these are popular stories and they need to be acknowledged as well. Definitely. But like I said, uh, it all, both of them funnel right into the fact that this is a legitimately haunted place. So let's talk about how it's haunted. All right. 
Okay. Um, I got my part from MyrtlesPlantation.com, CountryLiving.com, ThoughtCatalog.com, DallasNews.com, and MysteriousUniverse.com. <laughs> um, and as always, YouTube videos. Of course. Of course. Okay, so there are reported to be at least 12 ghosts that haunt the property, Chloe and William Winter being two of the most frequently experienced and popular ones. So I'm going to start my portion out with um, this little blurb of an interview that the owner, John Moss, had actually given to um, one of the newspapers. He said, uh, about once a month, someone leaves. Uh, (laughs) People absolutely get freaked out. And just they can't handle it. Just can't handle it. Something happens, um, and they are like, okay, see ya, bye. Oh. But I, like Lizzie Borden, no refunds if you, mm. if you, if mm-hmm. you can't stay the night. It, yeah. It's the risk you run if you go to stay at one of the most haunted <laughs> houses in America. Um, but I thought that was amusing. So um, You can just see the person running off into the night in the bayou and the owner standing at the door. No refunds! Right, right. I'm sure that's probably happened. (laughs) (laughs) So um, sometimes staffers hear footsteps quickly retreating down the stairs and just like you just said, they hear footsteps retreating down the stairs, gravel slinging in the driveway as overnight guests beat a hasty escape. <laughs> uh, other times they find rooms empty, the beds disheveled, and a room key tossed on the floor. Like, fucking see ya, wouldn't want to be Wow. Ya. Yeah. The owner said that when he first bought the property, there was a, a local woman that he had come across and was talking to and, you know, telling her, oh, I just bought the Myrtle's Plantation, da-da-da-da-da, and she got to talking about the ghosts. He says, she told him, they'll let you know in the first 90 days if you can stay. If it's okay, things will settle down. If not, you'll move on. Yeah. 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 So um, that's what every owner wants to hear from a (laughs) fucking neighbor, right? Right? Um, So anyway, he, of course, skeptic when he first bought the place. Sure. Sure, fine, whatever. Sure, fine, whatever. Um, But he did say that it didn't take long before he changed his mind. Uh, He heard voices calling his wife's name, and he became convinced that spirits visited visited his son, who was a toddler at the time they bought the property. He believes that the home is haunted, but said there's nothing vile, evil, or sinister about it. And from everything that I've heard, I haven't heard any anything like that either. Mm. No poltergeisty, scary. Oh, okay. Unless you're just not expecting it, which you should. But okay, I'm, I suppose there are some people that are just like, oh, it's just so beautiful. I had no idea about any of it. Right. Um, so the producers of the television programs, Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters, have had weird experiences here too. Uh, creepy noises and voices, a moving lamp. Oh, that was on Ghost Hunters. I saw that. That was freaking wild. Oh, wow. In the caretaker, I think it was a caretaker's cottage, which when we go there, I want to stay in that room. That one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, a moving lamp and a ball that rolled down the staircase when they asked for a sign from any of the resident spirits. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Miss Chloe. Okay. Not to be confused with Miss Cleo, who is also a ghost, but also was a psychic phone... Network. Network. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why lately, like, I just keep thinking about Miss Cleo because I referenced her in another episode, oh, too. <laughs> anyway... Um, so Chloe, there is a mirror in one of the rooms that reportedly shows a mother and her two children who are allegedly murdered by the slave girl, Chloe. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's entirely possible that it is Sarah and her children that died, but again, yellow fever mm-hmm. illness. Yep. Um, Chloe sightings are the most frequently reported phenomena at the plantation. Many visitors actually claim to have been awakened abruptly in the middle of the night to see her standing at the foot of their bed, blankly staring at them. We all know how Carrie feels about the fucking things watching her sleep. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, she, <laughs> Chloe is often seen roaming around the grounds, and numerous pictures have been taken of what is believed to be the ghost of the slave girl. Um, now, I'm getting ready to show you this picture, but it's um, a picture that is in particular very well known. It was taken in 1992 by, um, I believe, the current owners when she was kind of just walking the property when, she, when they either were going to buy it or they had just bought it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does appear to show an apparition standing between two of the buildings on the plantation. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very famous photo. I'm going to have you look at it right now and tell me what you think. Um, go ahead and enlarge it if you need to. Oh, I've seen this one. Have you seen this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't know. So it's definitely not a shadow because you can see the slats of, this, of the building through the, the image. That's true. They've had this picture. Like, um, like we're looking dead on at someone who's got their hands clasped, clasped together in front of her. Down right, waist. right, right. So, I mean, this picture has been sent to every single, like, forensic, super-duper photographer experts in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not doctored. It's not anything. Um, so, it's it's weird. It's weird. It's, it's really weird. Um, <laughs> So the plantation still sells this picture in a postcard form today, which I absolutely must have because I think it's fascinating. I just, I just don't know. Um, the, as I mentioned before, she's often seen in her green turban, wandering the place at night. Um, she's one of the most frequently encountered ghosts. Sometimes the cries of little children accompany her appearances when you see her. Hmm. And... It has also been known, uh, or it's also been experienced, that she, whoever she is, um, has been known to wake visitors by lifting the mosquito netting around the bed and looking intently at the bed's occupant. So, again, why? why Mosquito netting? Maybe maybe they have that up in the summer. I don't know. I mean, it is is Louisiana. I don't know. Uh. I really have no idea. Um, well, you can you can report back. <laughs> we can report. I'm back. not going someplace with mosquito netting. <laughs> oh, for, what if we go in the winter though? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's on the books. <laughs> so you had mentioned in your portion the previous owners, the Kermines, and the book that the wife wrote. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a um, little bit of of history with them and the experience that the wife had that became one of the the subject. Of the book. Of the book. Um, So Frances was her name, and she actually moved down to Louisiana first. Her husband, James, stayed behind in California uh, just to kind of tie up loose ends, and then he joined her down there. So I guess during the transition between owners, the bed and breakfast continued to honoring its guests' reservations, and and the Kermines were going to keep it as a bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it continued to honor its guests' Words are hard. It's okay. (sighs) Reservations. Goodness. Wow. <laughs> it's no Jaram. It's no Jaram groaned hotel. You're right. Um, 
So anyway, she was kind of, you know, being shown like, you know, this is how we do things or whatever. And Mm -hmm. if you want to do them the same way you can or what have you. Um, The previous innkeeper stayed on to show Francis the ropes. Uh, So on her second night there, there was an encounter that was so terrifying it left her what she says is reeling, which this would, yeah, Mm. me me too. Oh. I feel you, Francis. Uh, So here's what she says. I'd heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and I didn't think anything of it, but I had left my light off, and I woke up, and it was on, so I turned it off. Okay. Easy enough. All right. Sure. Maybe, you know, too much whiskey. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, She says, (laughs) she goes on to say, then the footsteps started up the stairs again. I figured it was one of the other guests, but then the doorknob started rattling. Fuck. Mm. I called out, and nobody answered. So... She was concerned that somebody was trying to get in her room. So she uh, kind of made a quick dash downstairs and tried to wake up the owner of who she had just, they had just bought the place from. Mm-hmm. But he didn't respond. So um, she says that she sought liquid courage from a few nips of sherry brandy, my kind of woman. <laughs> and she eventually fell asleep on the sofa in the parlor or one of the rooms. Fell asleep on the sofa. Yeah. Um, the sherry. <laughs> yeah. She awoke to the feeling of somebody watching her. She says, I looked up and standing over me was a black lady. Her head was wrapped in a green turban. I could see her holding an old fashioned tin with a loop in it through the candlelight and I lost it. I don't know. An old fashioned tin with a loop. So maybe like a lantern? Is that what she's oh, maybe. describing? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With the candlelight, and I lost it. I started screaming. I reached my hand out to touch her. I could tell she was a ghost because she was see-through, but as my hand passed through her, she faded away. Wow. I don't know as I would have my wits about me to, like, reach out and no. touch someone. No. <laughs> like a, it's that liquid that courage. <laughs> See? You got to yeah. have it. You just got to have it. So she also goes on to say in, in the later part of the interview... Um, I had thousands of reports from my get, from guests in my 10 years there, from hearing things, seeing things, the bed lifting and floating around the room, to being chased down the stairs with a broom. Wow. Right? Get, this is stuff that guests have told her over the 10 years. Other supernatural sensory effects reported there include smelling perfume, uh, coming from an unknown, unknown source, uh, distant sounds of babies crying, and parties happening in the dead of night. Weird. Right? Yeah. So other occurrences that have been reported there, um, tourists and ghost hunters frequently report strange orbs and lighting effects appearing in the photos they take on the plantation. One of the most famous images, again, is of that of Chloe appearing in between the two buildings, which we're going to put on all of our social media and our website. Here's the other weird thing. Handprints suddenly appear on this one mirror in the main entryway. Hmm. Even though it's been, it's gotten new glass, it's been resilvered, these same little handprints always show up. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And they're obviously the handprints of children, apparently. Um, oftentimes there are, you can capture, or you, uh, words are really hard. <laughs> Thank you for passing that, you know, fun little glitch in the matrix over to me for this episode. <laughs> have heard that there have been in the images of a apparition of a woman and a child or children captured in this mirror when you take photos of it as well. Mm. It's very, very interesting. What I find most interesting is that even though it's got new glass and it's been resilvered, mm-hmm. these handprints still show up. 
It's, it's interesting. Footsteps are often heard on the stairs, specifically loud footsteps leading up to the 17th step where, here's another story, where William Winter reportedly collapsed after being shot outside and struggling up the stairs to meet his wife, to get to his wife before he died. Um, as you had mentioned in your history portion, he mm-hmm. was shot and killed and died immediately on the front porch, right? Yep. Okay. So another... Um, sensationalized version of that story is that he was shot and he stumbled back into the house and he made it up to the 17th step where he died. Regardless, footsteps are consistently heard going up and down the staircase. Like Francis Kermine had mentioned Hmm. that night she had Mm -hmm. stayed there where that originates from. Who knows, but it is something that is currently going on and the plantation to this day. Uh, additionally, water fountains around the property suddenly turn off and on in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, and then again, lamps have been known to move, not just on the Ghost Hunters episode, known to move across tables when people are staying in the room, um, oh, if wow. you're taking pictures, you're filming something. There's something in that caretaker's cottage that wants you to know it's there and can move a lamp. Okay. Yeah. So um, have you ever heard of the movie The Long Hot Summer? believe so. Well, it's a it's a 1985, it was a made-for-TV movie, and it starred Don Johnson, Sybil Shepard, and Jason Robards. And I guess parts of it were filmed at the Myrtles Plantation. Okay, I did read this part. Yeah. So, uh, the film crew and the cast swear that after they rearranged furniture in a room for a shoot, some unknown force moved everything exactly back to where it had been repeatedly. So here's yet a third location. You got the Crescent Hotel, you got the Jerome Grand Hotel, and now this place where the ghosts are like, don't fuck with the furniture. Right. We don't like it. It's hell for the production crew. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> they, apparently, nobody was inside either room while the crew was absent. Um, obviously, they want to like, you know, lock down the set or whatever they were filming in to make sure that nothing changed continuity mm-hmm. purposes. Uh, so nobody was inside the room when the crew was absent. Um, and it happened several times to the crew's dismay and utter annoyance. <laughs> uh, although they did eventually manage to get the shots that they needed. Apparently, um, <laughs> the cast was very happy to move on to another set once the filming at the Myrtles was completed. <laughs> I could only imagine. Uh, I've never heard of the movie, so obviously I've never seen it. But um, everybody knows who Don Johnson, Sybil Shepard, and Jason Robards are. Hmm. If they're of our generation. I have five bucks as if I were to ask Koi who those people were, he'd be like, I have no idea. Do you work with them? Do you like, he would, he would not know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. So employees at the house, as always, often get the worst of the events that happen. Of course, they're mm-hmm. there all the time. Like right. people spend most of their lives at work. So of course they're often exposed firsthand to happenings that would have weaker folks like guests running away from the place in terror in the middle of the night, (laughs) Um, just throwing away their $250 that they spent (laughs) to fucking get there. Um, And actually, some of the employees uh, do run away from the place in terror. Uh, One amusing story that I found was one employee was hired to greet guests at the front gate each day. One day while he was at work, a woman in a white old-fashioned dress walked through the gate without speaking to him. She strolled up to the house and vanished through the front door without ever opening it. The new gateman quit his job and never returned. (laughs) That would have had to have been 
Whew. Yeah, like I get it. I get it for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look here. I lost my place. I hit the page down button. Oh, I hate yeah, that. Yeah, don't you hate that? I hate that. Why do bad things happen to good people? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So, uh, ghosts like children are often seen and heard playing throughout the house and the premises. There is apparently a young girl with curly hair, might have been one of the daughters of Woodruff. She has been seen repeatedly spotted floating outside the window of the game room, cupping her face as if to see see if she can see what's happening inside the building. Weird. Right? Let's see. Um, There is, I guess I did put this part in, and I'll just say it because let's just talk about how dumb this is. The house is rumored to have been built on a Native American oh, burial ground. There it, is. there it is. Which may explain why there have been multiple sightings of a young Native American girl that haunts the premises, primarily the gazebo. Take this one with a grain of salt, because it feels like every single place was an, built on a Native American burial ground. Right. Which, um... Oh, that explains everything. That is like almost, oh, here's why. The hand wave. Right. Like my ancestors don't have anything better to do, but just punish people people eternally. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. It's well within their right. It is, but I just feel like they're, I don't know. I I guess I just feel like they're more involved, evolved spiritually than just to stay petty for all eternity. (laughs) I don't know. I could be wrong. I wasn't raised in the Native American culture, but that's just my intuition talking. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so there is a grand piano on the first floor that plays by itself. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Usually repeating the same chord over and over again, so that's less fun. Oh, that right? Kind of like head. getting, you know, uh, being on It's a Small World and having the ride break down and you have to listen to that song oh, on my God. ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it continues on through the night. Uh, the piano at the Myrtles, not right. you stuck in small. You stuck world. in yeah. small world good, overnight. Good lord! Uh, when somebody comes into the room to investigate the sound, the music stops and will only start again when they leave. So that kind of reminds me of um, Flora Stanley at the Stanley Hotel. Mm-hmm. Like she's just playing for herself. She doesn't want an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so maybe that's what's what's going on here. Again, many reports of children seen playing on the wide veranda, which that porch. At this point, it's gorgeous. Like that, it would be my dream home to have a mm-hmm. big wraparound porch. Yep, that was that was added in the remodel. Was it? Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's just lovely. So reports of children seen playing on the veranda and in the hallways and in the guest rooms. Um, the small boy and girl may be the Woodworth children who, um, while not poisoned, uh, died very close within a uh, close amount of months of each other. Like two months. Yeah, during one of the many yellow fever epidemics that is the main cause of why people died in that home. Aside from the fact that William Winter was shot. Hmm. Yeah. There's about a million personal stories online. So it was exceptionally difficult to like pick out like the ones that stand out. This one, however, woman and her niece went to the property and they took over 650 pictures there. Oh, geez. Yes. They only caught out of two. They, they caught two out of 650 photographs that had something really fucking weird in them. And it was in this infamous mirror. Uh, a child with blonde hair in one photograph, and then a dark-haired woman in a period dress in another photograph. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, bummer about this, it was just the story. They didn't share the pictures, so I don't have... Oh, that's no fun. Right? So, I mean, uh, that makes it harder to believe. But I believe it. <laughs> Otherwise, I 
a sucky paranormal podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a, another family that decided to take a video inside the plantation in the dimly lit hallway area. Um, this one is is an, is going to be one of those up for debate videos, and I'm going to put it on our website, and I'll have you take a look at it when we're done here. Okay. Uh, so this family was there, and they decided to take a video inside the plantation um, in the hallway, which is, you know, like I said, dimly lit. As the camera was panning around the area by the staircase, ghostly feet appeared at the bottom of the stairwell. Two sets of feet wearing white socks and black buckled shoes looked to be casually walking away from the stairs. Uh, there also seemed to have been a third pair of feet that paused briefly before walking away. And I've seen this video. Hmm. You can very clearly see. It's just feet. It, it doesn't... It, of... Your ride is here. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> We're running over again. He's got to try, got to try to get to PV Mall today. Hey, you've got to get to Safeway. <laughs> I do. We have errands to run. Um, <laughs> of these... They are. They're children's feet, white socks, black buckled shoes, and you, you see them. You can't miss them. Oh, wow. At the stairwell... And then just kind of walk away and kind of fade away as they walk away. It's, I'll put the video up on our website, but it's going to be one of those uh, up for interpretation things. Mm. Here's what I saw in it. Um, I definitely saw it, but when they pan, so they pan from right to left. And as they go back, you catch a reflection sort of on the lower right. So what it looks like to me is they've shot this video through glass. Oh. And it could very well be there was a child behind them Mm -hmm. that was just happened to be standing there. And their reflection make, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. So we'll put it up. We'll have you take a look and see if if that's what you get. But you, you see a reflection of other stuff. So it looks like they're filming it through glass. Gotcha. Which kind of obliterates the entire thing. It's a really cool story, but let's have you decide. Let's have you know our yeah, listeners absolutely. take a look at it, see what everybody thinks. There, this one is fucking legit. This video is crazy. I'm going to put this on our website as well. A news reporter was actually doing a segment in one of the guest rooms and caught what looks like a mist in a shape move up across her and then up out of frame. Whoa. Yeah. And she, she caught it. So she was doing her segment there, and then she went back to the news studio, and she was editing it, and that's when she realized. They were like, whoa. And so they slow it down. They zoom. Because, they you know, news reporter. Right. They can, they've got the equipment to do that. It's wild. It's not an oh, orb. Oh, it's not a bug. Way. It's a mist of some kind in a shape. It's, it's fascinating. So <laughs> there is one of the children that's known to, to haunt the place um, is a little bit of a rascal and likes to bounce on the beds that were just freshly made. Also, guests have been woken up with the apparition of a little girl with blonde curls jumping on their bed. Like the bed is, and they see this apparition jumping on their bed. Hmm. Waking up in the middle of the night to that. <laughs> I feel like a parent's knee-jerk reaction would be, get the hell down, go back to bed, you know, kind right, of a thing. Right, But this little rascal, as the article put it, uh, also likes to bounce on the beds that were just freshly made. Fortunately, another apparition of a young woman dressed in a maid's uniform follows this little girl around and then neatly, quickly smooths the wrinkles out of the bed. <laughs> 
there was a guy that was shown on Ghost Adventures episode that they did here, and he was talking about how he was asleep in one of the rooms, and in the middle of the night, the bed just started shaking, like it was an earthquake or some kind of crazy shit going on. The bed was just violently shaking. Hmm. And he shows Zach Bagans the scratches and the gouges the bed left in the floor. Oh, wow. From the posts of Mm -hmm. what had happened that night. Like, could you imagine being that, like, being that guy if he was a guest and that happening and then being scared to tell the fucking hotel what happened, thinking, they say it's haunted, but maybe they won't believe me. And what if they charge me for this gouged hardwood (laughs) floor? You know what I mean? That was my first thing was like, oh, did the hotel get pissed? Or were they like, oh, fuck, we we heard, we know. Yeah. (laughs) We'll call the flooring people out again. Um, (laughs) There is said to be a Confederate soldier that has been seen and heard tromping across the front porch. There's another male specter dressed in khaki who sternly warns visitors not to come visit. Rude. Hmm. Um, Again, this Cleo, a voodoo priestess, tries in vain to save a little girl with chance and with something that she holds in her hand. So she's often seen in bedrooms as well, kind of like chanting over you. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Also seen as a ballet dancer in a black tutu which I think is totally out of place and random, but sure, why not? Come to the party. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, And then apparitions come from the slave graveyard um, on the property to report for their daily chores. They come. That would be, to see like a crowd of them, I'd be like, what's the fucking walking dead? Oh my God. (laughs) Additionally, guests have also reported waking up completely tucked into their beds. And uh, yeah, Super, super creepy. There, like I said earlier, there is a lot of pictures of the plantation that show strange orbs or auras, especially this mist that the news reporter caught, Mm -hmm. especially at night. However, there's a photo that was taken by a woman that appears to show British redcoats. And I've seen it, and I'll I'll put it up on, on all of our social media, and I'll show you after this. The British Army has no direct link to the Myrtles, but... About 700 troops were killed nearby during the 1815 Battle of New Orleans. Hmm. So it's possible. And then a French woman in a black skirt has been seen dancing with her feet slightly above the floor. So those are some of the most popular ghosts. William Winter, Chloe, of course, and then some of the other um, experiences that folks have felt there. My fun facts. Time for fun facts. Okay. Here we go. Uh, the porch and the shutters are painted in ha- a color called haint blue, which is another superstitious precaution to ward off malevolent spirits, mm. which is interesting. Like the whole front of the house is in this specific color of blue. All of the flooring and most of the windows in the house are original. Oh, wow. Right? I think that would, I think that's really impressive. Um, and then lastly, my little fun fact is that a psychic by the name of Jane Roberts came to investigate the Myrtle's plantation. She said when she walked into the parlor, she felt she was in the middle of a crowded cocktail party full of happy, pleasant spirits. So everything I've read, all the research that I've done on this place, I haven't heard of anything really malevolent, evil, just like they say, hmm. which is great. So, you know, you, you, sure, I'm sure it's probably scary to wake up and have somebody staring at you and you can look right through them. <laughs> but doesn't sound like they're going to do anything really horrible to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's the Myrtle's Plantation. Um, to getting there, it is located at 7747 U.S. Highway 61 in St. Francisville, Louisiana, 70775. 
It's just a short drive north of Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. For folks. Uh, the phone number to the plantation is 225-635-6277. You can also um, inquire about reservations at and email them at reservations at myrtlesplantation.com. Room rates are between $175 and $400 per night. Oof. Yeah. Uh, you can stay in the main home and choose the room that you want, or you can stay um, in one of the many cabins on the property. They include the caretaker's quarters, which is $250 a night. Um, that's the room where the lamp moved for mm-hmm. ghost hunters. There is also the cocoa house. This is an actual little mini house on the property. It's got a full kitchen and it sleeps. I think it said it has three queen beds in it. So like a, a group of folks want to. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I believe that was the one that was 400 per night. Mm. Um, okay. And then there are multiple cabins that you can also stay in, which were formerly slave quarters, I assume. Oh. They look like it. They're little like wooden, like A-frame cabins. Um, these private accommodations, the multiple cabins, the cocoa house, and the caretaker's quarters also include the daily mystery tour and breakfast in their room rate. Uh, you do have to pay for one night's room and tax up front when you book your reservation. They offer daily, evening, and private mystery tours. Got to go on all of them. <laughs> um, the daily and the evening tours start at $15 each. The private mystery tours are really cool. Those are kind of like a ghost hunting tour, and it's a $90, no. $99 flat fee for a group of up to 35. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's not fucking bad. <laughs> like, that's really not bad. Uh, and they do hold a, as I love to, ta- as I love to tell, a 4.5 star review on TripAdvisor. Very nice. Yeah. So, guys, that was the Myrtle's Plantation. Um, really amazing place. It's one of my favorites to. Uh, every Halloween, you know, you're always, you know, the most terrifying places in America is one of my favorite shows. I watch it every year and I always love to hear about the Myrtle's Plantation. Um, very definitely a, uh, bucket list thing for me. Uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, the, the whole bit. I just, I gotta see it all. Bit of a drive from New Orleans, but so what? Worth it. And it's just such a beautiful property too, with all of the, the crepe myrtle trees all over the, the grounds and, um... Yeah, so excited to go. Have yeah. you guys been there? If you've been there, you know, hit us up. Let yeah, us know. Let us know. If you had any experiences, anything like that, uh, for sure, for sure. So, hey, Arch, we got through All this right. one really freaking well. We did pretty good. We did pretty good. I think it's because the live studio audience isn't here, and oh. I just blame it all on her. Okay. We should just do That's that. That's easier. Yeah. But we don't tell her, guys, because then she won't come back on. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that's All right. that's it for us. Uh, next week, what do we have next week? Oh, Edinburgh, Scotland. Okay, a couple of locations in Edinburgh. It's one of the most haunted locations in Scotland. That that city. So yay, cool going to be fun. All right. Uh, Arch, where can they find us? We can be found on all social media networks: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Patreon, all at H-O-A-H podcast and H-O-A-H podcast dot com. Yes, indeed. All right. That is it for us, guys. Thank you so much. We love you. We are so appreciative of all of your support. Uh, You guys have a great week, and we will see you next week when we take the class to Scotland. Thanks, everybody. Bye.